0: Where do we go to get the last four and a half years back?
1: Great question.
0: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Oh, no, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall
1: off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs.
0: To the left, of me Joke us to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle. Here you. I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. Never fear you.
1: from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's Queso and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day. On the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me. From Bradblog.com, just trying to keep up with it all today for a change uh, on what was a very bad day for President Donald Trump on Capitol Hill on Tuesday with testimony that I believe, based on reading the opening statement here, is accurately being described by Democrats as, quote, damning. Today in the uh, Ukraine quid pro quo scandal at the center of Trump's impeachment inquiry, we'll get to that in a second. We'll be joined by media analyst Eric Bollert thereafter to discuss the media's coverage of what they found to be the biggest story of the 2016 campaign, which has finally come to its shameful uh, and quiet conclusion. It was barely covered at all by the media We'll cover it slightly more so here on the broadcast. Also a bit later, Desi Doyen is here with the latest Green News Report. Hello, Yay! Desi. Hello. With almost nothing to cover there, as usual. <laughs> you know, we're creeping up on our 1,000th episode of the GNR, and I have been reflecting back to when you first began it, and I wonder... Uh, back then, I, I wondered, it, it, I think I even asked you about this If you had enough material, do you think you'll have enough to cover six minutes <laughs> twice a week?
0: Yes, and do you remember what I said?
1: I don't, what did you say? Oh yeah uh, Yeah. Well, I know you laughed at me yes. at the time, just like you did just now But uh, yeah, you have proven there is more than enough to try to jam into six minutes Twice a week. Oh, we could easily uh, yep. do
0: a three-hour show a day on this stuff.
1: No question about it. Yep. Over the past uh, ten years, ten and a half years now, we've given you at least uh, six minutes. So there's <laughs> that. Uh, and, of course, we've been able to do that, by the way, and to uh, tell the truth about politicians from all sides and corporations like Monsanto and BP and Shell and ExxonMobil and... Uh, who plays, by the way, a starring role in today's Green News Report as they go on trial for climate fraud. That is because we rely on nobody but listeners to support our effort. That's right, you. No political groups, no corporate funding, just you folks who listen to the show, who like it or hate it, and stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us going. So if you haven't done that in a while, by the way, please do. Uh, and uh, yes, consider setting up a monthly uh, monthly support for our efforts as we approach our one thousandth episode. And as we wait for someone to donate $1,000 in honor of it, (laughs) could that happen?
0: Hey, ExxonMobil, my DMs are
1: open. I know. Well, you know what? We got when when it was our fifth anniversary, they sent $5, so it's our (laughs) 1,000th episode. I'm just saying. Bradblog.com slash donate. Okay. Well, back to our even more immediate nightmares here. As uh, noted, uh, another bad day for the President of the United States in D.C., and he did not help himself at all. By starting it off, claiming that he was being lynched. Yes, seriously, he actually did that. Donald Trump triggered outrage Tuesday, according to the AP, by comparing the Democrat-led impeachment inquiry to a lynching, assigning the horrors of a deadly and racist chapter in U.S. history to a process laid out in the Constitution. You know, just like lynching. Democratic uh, Congressman James Clyburn of South Carolina, the highest ranking African-American in Congress, said that is one word no president ought to apply to himself. That is a word we ought to be very, very careful about using, the congressman said quite politely. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell called Trump's words unfortunate. He said, given the history in our country, I would not compare this to a lynching. That was an unfortunate choice of words, he said. Congressman Bobby Rush of Illinois, a Democrat who was also black, called on Trump to delete the tweet. He said, do you know how many people who look like me have been lynched since the inception of this country by people who look like you? Delete this tweet. Senator Doug Jones, Democrat from Alabama, tweeted to Trump, no, sir from Alabama, with a long and brutal history of uh, of lynching. No, sir, he tweeted. No, Donald Trump, this is not a lynching, and shame on you for invoking such a horrific act that was used as a weapon to terrorize and murder African Americans. So what did Donald Trump tweet? This. Quote, So, someday, if a Democrat becomes president and the Republicans win the House, even by a tiny margin... Of course, Democrats, by the way, won it by a huge margin last November, not by a tiny margin. Uh, Back to Trump here. Uh, They can impeach the president without due process or fairness or any legal rights. All Republicans must remember what they are witnessing here. A lynching. Really, Donald? Donald? Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina, uh, who should know better but clearly doesn't know much of anything, said Trump's description was, quote, pretty well accurate. He called the impeachment effort a sham and a joke. And if anyone knows about uh, sham and joke impeachment efforts, it would be Lindsey Graham, who was behind the Bill Clinton sham and joke uh, impeachment effort. Uh, But he said uh, it's a sham and a joke in this case because the president does not know the identity of his accuser and the process is playing out in private. This is a lynching in every sense, said Graham. Defending Trump, White House spokesperson uh, Hogan Gidley said the president was trying to point out the way he has been attacked by the news media since before he took office, though Trump's tweet mentions Republicans and Democrats, only it does not mention the news media. But uh, in any event, you, of course, I'm sure remember when thousands and thousands of black people in the South were attacked by the media, you know, lynching. And by the way, if you want to know what an actual attack by the media looks like, stay tuned for my conversation with Eric Bollert in a second. Lynchings, uh, actual lynchings, typically hangings, were used mostly by whites against black men, mostly in the South beginning in the late 19th century. Melinda Edwards, whose father was in fact lynched by the KKK in Alabama in 1957, said that Trump's tweet was unbelievable. She said either he's very ignorant or very insensitive or very racist and just doesn't care, said Edwards. Well, I'd say all three of those.
0: Oh, indeed. They're not mutually exclusive.
1: Her father, Willie Edwards Jr., was forced to jump off a river bridge by Klansmen who heard that he had smiled, who heard that he had smiled at a white woman. Edwards' name is now among those on a memorial in Montgomery honoring uh, more than 4,000 lynching victims in the area. His daughter said that Trump's comments made light of the horror experienced by victims of racially uh, motivated killings. She said these are people who went through the most gruesome and heinous things that could be done to them. Trump, however, often tries to portray himself as the victim, and the tweet came a day after he lashed out at critics of his decision since rescinded to schedule a major international economic summit for 2020. That's the G7 at one of his Florida golf properties, so he's got to blame somebody for something. He also lamented people who invoke the, quote, phony emoluments clause. Oh, that other constitutional thing which says that a president cannot receive gifts or payments from foreign governments. He should compare the Constitution's Emoluments Clause to the Holocaust by tomorrow. Make no mistake, the Emoluments Clause is like Hitler's gas chambers. I'm sure that's... That's the next tweet to come.
0: Oh, that's too literate. I think it'll be a lot less literate than that. Yeah, that's
1: true. Lynchings were fueled by anger toward blacks across the South, where many whites blamed their financial problems on the newly freed slaves. And uh, coincidentally, on Tuesday, separately, a U.S. appeals court in Atlanta was considering whether federal judges can order grand jury records unsealed in the mob lynchings of two black couples from 1946, the young black sharecroppers were stopped along a rural, a rural road that year by a white mob that dragged them out and shot them multiple times east of Atlanta. More than 100 people reportedly testified before a grand jury in the case, but no one was ever indicted in the deaths of Roger and Dorothy Malcolm and George and May Murray Dorsey. So, yes, that is just like what Republicans are witnessing Donald Trump go through right now. It's just like that, isn't it? Just like being dragged out of your car and shot, you know, a lynching. So what is Donald Trump actually going through? It's a constitutional uh, process in which his unlawful behavior is being exposed. And on Tuesday, it was his own emissary to Ukraine who exposed it. In uh, exacting testimony to congressional impeachment investigators, which, by the way, also include members from the Republican Party in the closed door questioning of witnesses that Republicans are complaining about, even though they are there and taking part in all of this, you know, just like a lynching. Donald Trump's senior U.S. diplomat in Ukraine told lawmakers Tuesday that President Trump made the release of military aid to the embattled former Soviet country contingent on public declarations that uh, from Ukraine that it would investigate the Bidens and the 2016 election that contradicting Trump's repeated denials that he used that military aid money as leverage for political gain. The explosive closed-door testimony, as uh, Washington Post describes it, from acting Ambassador William Taylor undermined the repeated statements of the president and the depositions of other administration officials with the potential to reset the House impeachment probe of Trump. Taylor is a seasoned diplomat. He's an army veteran, and apparently, he's a, met- a meticulous note taker, according to the Post. Uh oh, he provided an expansive description of a series of events at the heart of a of an investigation that poses the most serious threat to Trump's presidency. And uh, Democrats are describing that testimony today as damning. It, it, it the uh, fifteen-page, fifteen-page opening statement has now been released. In that statement, Taylor stood by his characterization that it was "quote crazy" to make nearly four hundred million dollars in congressionally allocated military assistance to Ukraine contingent on investigations. That Taylor found to be very troubling. He described how officials from the Pentagon, the State Department, the CIA, and former National Security Advisor John Bolton tried unsuccessfully to get a meeting with Trump to release the aid that the administration was holding up. Upon arriving in Kiev, Kiev, Ukraine uh, last spring, Taylor became alarmed by secondary, quote, irregular diplomatic channels involving U.S. officials that he called, quote, weird. Taylor walked lawmakers through a series of conversations he had with other U.S. diplomats who were trying to obtain what one called the, quote, deliverable of Ukraine helping investigate Trump's political rivals. Taylor said, quote, in August and September of this year, so we're just talking a few weeks ago at this point, He said, I became increasingly concerned that our relationship with Ukraine was being fundamentally undermined by an irregular informal channel of U.S. policymaking and by the withholding of vital security assistance for domestic political reasons. Taylor said that his uh, position gave him control in Ukraine over the regular diplomatic channel, but not the irregular one, as he described it. That irregular channel, Taylor said, included then special envoy Kurt Volker, Ambassador Gordon Sondland, Secretary of Energy, for some reason, Rick Perry and Rudy Giuliani, for some reason. Although this irregular channel was well-connected in Washington, Taylor wrote it appeared to exist to circumvent the State Department. Taylor's testimony filled in a lot of blanks about the activities of U.S. officials who appear to have sought Ukrainian help at the behest of Trump and his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. At issue, of course, is whether the White House conditioned military aid and a meeting between the two presidents on Zelensky's cooperation and whether that that constitutes an abuse of Trump's office. Taylor contradicted earlier testimony from Gordon Sondland. He was uh, Trump's ambassador to the European Union, which, by the way, Ukraine is not a part of. So why did Sondland seemingly have more control over diplomacy with Ukraine than the U.S.'s top diplomat assigned to Ukraine at that point? Now, Sondland had told House investigators last week that he recalls, quote, no discussions with anyone at the State Department or the White House about investigating former vice president and 2020 presidential candidate Joe Biden or his son Hunter. Taylor testified that Trump told Sondland himself in a September 7 phone call that Zelensky must, quote, go to a microphone and say he is opening investigations of Biden and 2016 election interference. Trump told this to Sondland directly, according to Taylor, again, a meticulous notekeeper in a crucial September 8th telephone call, Taylor testified. Sondland, quote, tried to explain to me that President Trump is a businessman. When a businessman is about to sign a check to someone who owes him something, he said, the businessman asks that person to pay up before signing the check. Now, mind you, Ukraine owed the U.S. nothing. It was, in fact, the U.S. who owed Ukraine this aid after Congress had voted to send uh, nearly $400 million to uh, to Ukraine for security assistance as they are in a, uh, a civil war that has been uh, supported by Russia in the East. During that phone call, Ambassador Sondland told me that President Trump had told him that he wants Zelensky to state publicly that Ukraine will investigate Burisma and alleged Ukraine interference, Ukraine interference in the 2016 election in the US, Taylor testified. Hunter Biden, the former vice president's son, had become a board member of Burisma, this uh, Ukrainian natural uh, nation, uh, 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 natural gas company. Joe Biden, of course, was at the time thought to be the leading 2020 Democratic presidential candidate. Taylor uh, told House investigators, quote, Ambassador Sondland also told me how he recognized that he made a mistake by earlier telling the Ukrainian officials to whom he spoke that a White House meeting with President Zelensky was dependent on a public announcement of the investigation. He said that President Trump wanted Zelensky, quote, in a public box by making a public statement about ordering such investigations. He just detailed in one comment after another, after another, with great specificity, how this all played out. And it is exactly what we know it to be. So when you hear Lindsey Graham complaining that uh, Donald Trump has the right to know who his uh, accusers accusers are. Well, a one of his own accusers right here is his very own uh, ambassador to Ukraine. That's one of the accusers. As far as whoever that whistleblower was, I don't know who, obviously, I don't know who it it was, but does it actually matter to the facts in this case? Should he be able to face his accuser, as Lindsey Graham says, in uh, agreeing that this is exactly like a lynching when the facts are the facts and they're laid out here by uh, uh, Bill Taylor in excruciating exacting detail?
0: And I believe that the whistleblower protection law protects the whistleblower's identity so that whistleblowers will come forward with wrongdoing of this level.
1: Oh, yeah, there's that as well.
0: Yeah, it's just part of the law.
1: Congresswoman uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Florida, Democrat, said in an interview partway through Taylor's testimony, quote, It was just the most damning testimony I've heard. He drew a very specific direct line from President Trump to the withholding of foreign aid and the refusal of a meeting between Trump and the new Ukrainian leader, she said. Taylor testified that he first learned about U.S. military aid being leveraged on a promise by Ukraine to investigate Trump's political foes in early September of this year in a phone call with the White House official who is in charge of Europe. This is uh, uh, the top National Security Council official who described how Sondland had told A Ukrainian official that, quote, the security assistance money would not come until President Zelensky committed to pursue the Burisma investigation. Taylor said he was alarmed by the news. He said it was the first time he had heard that security assistance, not just a White House meeting, not just a meeting between the two presidents, but actual security assistance was, quote, conditioned on this investigation. And then he uh, texted Sondland on the same day to ask if this was correct. This message uh, was made public last week or the week before. I can't recall now. I've lost all track of time. That text said we are now, uh, quote, we, from Taylor to Sondland saying, quote, we are now saying that security assistance and a White House meeting on investigations. Sondland responded by telling Taylor to call him instead of texting. Uh, this is just uh, mind blowing. Uh, it's it's one you know, piece after another that confirms exactly what we have been learning over the past two weeks from a longtime diplomat and uh, military veteran uh, with meticulous notes who thought this was crazy to withhold security assistance for help with a political campaign, he wrote. Taylor is a retired former ambassador to Ukraine. So he had already been an ambassador to Ukraine some years ago. He knew the area. He's a foreign policy elder statesman. And uh, he had exchanged text messages with two other diplomats in which he called it, quote, crazy to withhold security assistance for help with a political campaign. And he also called it, quote, a nightmare scenario. One more here uh, from uh, Taylor's testimony. On September 8th, Taylor then texted Volker, who was, again, the ambassador of the... uh, I forgot, I've lost track of which one Volker was, but it was not Ukraine. Taylor texted Volker and said, Gordon and I just spoke. I can brief you if you and Gordon Sondland don't connect. The nightmare is they give the interview... He said, referring to a scheme that would have Zelensky do an interview on CNN to make these announcements that he was going to do the investigation. The nightmare is they give the interview and then they don't get the security assistance. The Russians love it, wrote Taylor, adding, and I quit. So uh, Taylor uh, is the uh, first of two planned closed door depositions this week. The, other, uh, the next one is Laura Cooper, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense, whose portfolio includes Russia and Ukraine. She'll testify in a closed session on Wednesday, according to officials working on the process. Uh, if that doesn't go any better for Donald Trump, I don't know where he goes at this point, other than to, you know, try playing that Holocaust card with the uh, emoluments clause or something.
0: I'm sure he'll come up with something.
1: Were it not for this impeachment inquiry... I am 100 percent certain that this scenario and this scheme to pretend there was a serious scandal involving Joe Biden, that that would have played out with the corporate media's collusion exactly the way this same thing happened with the other phony scandal, that one from back in 2016. The lock her up nonsense regarding Hillary Clinton's emails, which has now officially come to an end not that you might realize it based on the media's pathetic coverage of Trump's own State Department officially throwing in the towel with the signed, sealed, and delivered end to their years long investigation into that matter that story is next with Eric Bullert on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman don't touch that dial Making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's Bradblog.com slash donate and thanks. Ooh, baby, here I am, to deliver your... Yeah. Signed. Sealed. It's delivered. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Well, it didn't get much coverage over the weekend. The story was published late on Friday, and it appeared in the Saturday papers. Good luck if you happen to find it buried on page 16 in The New York Times. At least it made its way to the top of page 6 in The Washington Post. So there's that. The Post wrote over the weekend, a multi-year State Department probe of emails that were sent to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's private computer server concluded that there was no systemic or deliberate mishandling of classified information by department employees, which would include Secretary Clinton, as I read this. Uh, That, according to a report submitted to Congress this month, the report appears to represent a final and anticlimactic chapter, writes the Post, in a controversy that overshadowed the 2016 presidential election and exposed Clinton to fierce criticism that she later cited as a major factor in her loss to President Trump. Perhaps because the phony scandal was a major factor in her loss to President Trump. Here, in case you've forgotten, is the tiniest of reminders of just some of the ways that this faux scandal was used by Donald Trump and his campaign back in 2016.
2: This is bigger than Watergate. We have only seen the tip of the iceberg. She should be in prison, let me tell you. She deleted The emails, she has to go to jail. She shouldn't be allowed to run.
1: Lock her up. Bigger than Watergate. She shouldn't be allowed to run. In the end, according to the Post, State Department investigators found 38 current or former employees, quote, culpable of violating security procedures, none involving material that had been marked classified. None. Zero, That from their review of roughly roughly 33,000 emails that had been sent to or from the personal computer system that Clinton used. Overall, investigators said, quote, there was no persuasive evidence of systemic, deliberate mishandling of classified information. That release comes as Donald Trump continues to raise the Clinton email issue. In order to attack Democrats, even as the new evidence has emerged of apparent security lapses by senior officials in his administration, including, yes, the use of private email servers for official business by Trump's own daughter, Ivanka, and his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, according to their own lawyer. And that, by the way, was while they worked in the White House. They were not the only ones in the Trump administration, not by a long shot. Betsy DeVos, the education secretary, used a personal email account for some government business. Her department's inspector general found. Now, I can't recall. Has has Trump locked her up yet? No. She's still in the uh, she's still the education secretary. Go figure. White House officials told The Times in 2017 that Steve Bannon, the former chief White House strategist, Reince Priebus, the former chief of staff, Gary Cohn, the former economic advisor, and Stephen Miller, a top aide, all, all had used personal email accounts for government business. And yet none of them have been locked up yet? Really? Okay. Diplomats involved in pressuring Ukraine to pursue investigations that would politically benefit Donald Trump used private phones and texting apps to trade messages about their efforts, according to records released by leaders of the House impeachment inquiry. Also, Ivanka Trump and her husband Jared, both top White House advisors, used those messaging apps, uh, services such as WhatsApp. For official, possibly classified White House business, potentially violating federal records laws, according to congressional investigators. For example, Kushner may have used WhatsApp to communicate with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia, who the CIA uh, says ordered the murder of Washington Post journalist Jamal Khashoggi. The State Department probe, and I should underscore this is Donald Trump's own State Department focused on internal communications that were up to nine years old. And, huh, they could not find anything to justify the Trump campaign's famous months long, years long use of the lock her up chant, which was in reference to supposedly unlawful use of her private server to send and received classified emails. Remember that? Clinton's use of a private server discovered by House Republicans as part of the probe of the deaths of U.S. diplomats and intelligence personnel in Benghazi. Oh, remember that phony outrage that triggered overlapping investigations by Congress, by the State Department and the FBI? Oh, hi, Jim Comey. I remember you. Well, the State Department's probe is now done, along with Congresses, along with the FBI's. So it ended not with a bang, not with a frog march, with nobody in handcuffs. It ended with a fizzle. Nobody got locked up after all, and it was reported deep in the back pages of the very newspapers who front-paged every single piece of supposed news in this ultimately fake story, that arguably helped to elect the worst, the most dangerous, and certainly the most unfit president this nation has ever seen. I wonder if Fox News even ran this story at all, even once. Of course, it was an effective way to win a presidency, so I guess we can't blame Donald Trump and his campaign as much as we can blame the mainstream corporate media who facilitated all of this, despite supposedly knowing better. Yes, they played along. They made it all possible in the first place on that point and on the media's utter lack of contrition and perhaps the very real likelihood that they will do the same thing all over again, that they will fall for it yet again as the Trump campaign is already using that same playbook from 2016. In the 2020 campaign Is longtime media analyst For Media Matters and Salon Now writing over at Delhi Coast Our old friend Eric Bollert Author of Bloggers on the Bus How the Internet Changed Politics and the Press And Lapdogs How the Press Rolled Over for Bush Both of which could almost certainly Be updated for the Trump era I suspect Welcome back Eric Bollert Good to have you here my friend Hey Brad how are you? Hanging in there uh, <laughs> This this story just, uh, yeah. you know, I, I didn't much cover the uh, Clinton email uh, nonsense when it happened. So I, I somewhat, I think, resent having to cover it now, to be frank. But I think I do. Uh, you charge in your piece on all of this over at Daily Coast today that the uh, DC press has simply whitewashed its own role in the email fiasco that helped bring Trump to power. How so, Eric?
2: Well, it's interesting. I mean, you got you you kind of uh, addressed it there with some of the language you were quoting from the New York Times and the Washington Post, right? It's kind of this passive passive opaque uh, you know, Clinton came under fierce criticism, right? It was mm-hmm. a target of controversy. Well, who who was generating that target of con- who was targeting that fierce criticism? Mm-hmm. Yes, Republicans, but the email story does not exist without the Beltway Press. So, you know, the the Beltway Press You know, the reporting on page 6, page 16, most of the network newscasts never even reported on this story Mm. over the weekend. uh, Some of them are reporting, oh, yeah, she was exonerated. What they're not talking about was we literally co-sponsored this 18-month smear campaign, which took out the Democratic nominee. I mean... People remember John Kerry and the Swift Boat Veterans for Truth. Yeah. That was a month long, August of two thousand four. That was a, a, a coordinated Republican smear campaign, which the which the you know the campaign press did not do a good job and mm-hmm. help them amplify. That was for one month. This email story ran from March two thousand fifteen to November two thousand sixteen, mm. and 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 I think if you went back, you said you know there was so many other things going on. Mm-hmm. But I went back for this column, and you may have gone back uh, just in the last day. We forget how bad it was. And that's what's so important, is to not let this happen again.
1: How bad you mean? What was the the coverage? coverage How How much of it was? was. It
2: was, you know, pick your adjective, mind-boggling, numbing, irresponsible, reckless, completely... And we'll talk about why that was, but I'll, we'll just give a couple examples in, or in terms of data mm-hmm. points. You know, in, it's September. And again, this story rolled for months and months. There was there were peaks and valleys for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. If you take one peak in September 2015, on average, if you look at the Washington Post print and online, they were publishing two Clinton email stories every day for the month of September 2015. We don't even have, we barely have two impeachment stories every day (laughs) now in in terms of uh, the context. And I point out in my piece, the the network newscast, you know, ABC, CBS, uh, NBC, uh, for the campaign year of 2016, Mm -hmm. they devoted 100 minutes to Clinton emails. They devoted uh, a third of that, 32 minutes, for all the policy coverage for the entire campaign. There was a Harvard study that uh, a media study that pointed out how little policy coverage Clinton got. She was the one with the white papers, right? She was the one had. She was kind of the the Elizabeth Warren before Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. And she had a plan for everything. Donald Trump would, would you know would put out these two three page policy papers. Hillary Clinton would put out twenty thirty page. She was the policy candidate. She got virtually no coverage. And as the Harvard study pointed out, why is that? Because the press had invented an entire category for Clinton emails. So there was no time left. There were no inches left in the <laughs> newspaper. There were no hours left on television. It was all consuming. Now, and so she got shortchanged on so many things. And now people like me and lots of others were pointing out in real mm-hmm. time the whole thing was bogus. But they went with it, and yeah. we can talk about
1: why they went with it. Well, I, and and you know, at the time, I I could tell it was bogus, and I yep. think I I don't I don't know that I covered that story more than maybe once or twice when there was some emails that were uh, released that were hacked. I think right. something from uh, Colin Powell or something uh, right. that was in some fashion newsworthy. Otherwise, you know, I didn't cover that. I didn't cover the DNC leaks because. You know, I don't know that stolen you got to be very careful when you're talking about stolen emails, Uh, you know, and and uh, of course there was no I don't think any of her emails were stolen uh, at all that anything that we got from her came from the DNC server, not from her private server, which was apparently secure. But without, you know, completely rehashing what happened in 2016, here we are in 2019. How should the media have covered this story as you see it, Eric? Obviously not on page six or page 16, but what should they have said? How should they have dealt with their own culpability in this matter?
2: should have been any self-reflection. There was absolutely none. So we've talked about the Washington Post, page 6, New York Times, page 16. Those were 600, 700-word articles. That was it. No follow-up. No opinion columns. Nothing from public editors. They wanted this thing to go away so fast. How about self-reflection? This was, as we've just documented, mm-hmm. this was a media malpractice on a blockbuster scale. How do you get a story wrong for 18 months? Last time, the, you know, if we talk about truly epic beltway failures mm-hmm. in the press, we talk about the run-up to the Iraq yeah, War. Yeah, WMD. We talk, and we talk about, uh, for the New York Times, Jason Blair and the plagiarism scandal. In both those instances, the, the New York Times took it seriously. They had in-depth internal investigations. They reported back to readers, this is what we got wrong. This is why it got wrong. This is why we pledged to you we won't get it wrong again. Absolutely nothing on this. And this is the scary part. There was no reflection, because based on everything we've read and heard, newsrooms don't think they got anything wrong. And that's the scary part about
1: 2020. (sighs) And that's... That's amazing to me because uh, you write, you know, for the record, the fact that the entire email scandal was bogus was fairly evident in real time. And you cite an article from Newsweek, March of 2015. And, yeah, that reminds me, of course, of the Knight Ritter, uh, now McClatchy, reporting on the lack of WMD in the run-up to Iraq well in advance of going to war. That was similarly ignored. So how, how is it? Uh, Eric Bullard, that I, with my tiny newsroom of all of two people, uh, why do I know not to bother covering the Hillary email story? But the vaunted New York Times, Washington Post, and all the rest of them could not figure out that it was phony from the jump, or did they know that it was phony? Yeah, and they did not care.
2: Look, these are smart people, right? These are these these are generally sophisticated, well read uh they're supposedly the best and the brightest you you don't end up uh, at the washington post national desk if you're if you don't know what's going on they play dumb on an epic scale the, and and this is why i you know we can talk about why this happened they they they, they were hugely invested in this story uh from the get go From uh, spring of 2015, and here's a here's a quick sidebar. Mm -hmm. Republican smear campaigns, if it's Benghazi, if it's if it's uh, Whitewater, if it's the Clinton emails, they only work if the DC press co-sponsors them. And so this was one that the DC press wanted aggressively to co-sponsor. They marched arm in arm with the Republican Party for a year and a half, and because so they were invested early on, they wanted it to be a story, they wanted it to be a scandal. Why? Because the target was Hillary Clinton, and so you know you can have lots of different opinions of her and her campaign in 2016. I don't think most people would would uh, argue that there was a massive double standard in terms of the coverage. The 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 DC press is trying to be, has been trying to criminalize the Clintons since the 1990s, <laughs> right. and as I pointed out in my piece, everyone. And the D.C. press thought she was going to win, right? Everyone thought she was going to beat Trump. And I, I, and, and, and my theory is the email story was a way to make her historic victory, the first woman president, m- make it not be very sweet. She will limp across the finish line, kind of bloodied and bruised, bruised by these email allegations. And I think that's, that's the victory that the, the press wanted. And, and lo and behold, they miscalculated and this email story absolutely helped get Trump elected.
1: You know, and I wouldn't, and I think you and I maybe we've talked about this in the past. I wouldn't mind that sort of, of coverage, that sort of exhaustive coverage. I mean, it's in in one sense it's hard not to. Eric, you write, for example, about you know, that Trump should be kicked off Twitter. And as I was in a story, I think, uh, yesterday or day before. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, yeah, he should, because I guess you can argue that he's violated their terms of service. But he is the president of the United States. He will show up somewhere else and make similar statements. And the uh, the, the press has an obligation, I think, to some extent, to cover what it is that the president of the United States says. Similarly, in the heat mm-hmm. of a campaign and I'm glad you mentioned the swift boat thing, because, boy, there's a lot of phony, fake scandals that Republicans use to win office, isn't there?
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, that seems like, well, that's just about it. That's the playbook, in any event, uh, and keeping people from voting, etc. But, right, right. you know, it, it just seems to me that... When it's a president of the United States, when it's a candidate for president of the United States, if they say something, if Donald Trump shows up and they're having locker up chants and talking about the email, how can they not cover that, Eric?
2: Oh, that's a good point. And absolutely, you know, and it absolutely was a legitimate story. Uh, The Republicans were able to get this into the web of the FBI. They're going to open an investigation. Nothing, nothing the press loves better that an FBI investigation into a candidate, mm-hmm. so it, it, it took on the machinations of all the Beltway institutions, right, congressional investigations, the press loves that, there's a way to cover the story, and there's a way to not lose your mind, <laughs> and so the press did the latter, they they completely lost your mind, you talked about when, you know, these ju- the, the judge overseeing the case, we forget, but i went back and was reminded there were these batches of releases of emails mm-hmm. right yeah. here we were going to release ten thousand emails in in the spring of two thousand and sixteen. We're going to release uh, t- uh twenty more thousand emails yeah. and I went back just recently and looked at the coverage. It was insane and 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 because buried in every re- one of the reports was a no incriminating evidence b nothing interesting. She was literally sending notes to her aides, thanking them for working so hard. She famously was sending John Podesta recipes. There was absolutely nothing there. And every batch came with these screaming headlines, more trouble for Clinton. You know, at that point, you could have easily uh, written the story about how there's no there there and how this is embarrassing for Republicans. And and, and Clinton has been uh, exonerated once again every time they took the exact opposite tact and and just tried to turn the screws a little harder based
1: on innocuous email. So cover the story because you can't avoid, uh, you know, an announcement from the DOJ or, or, or right. even a, a campaign chanting lock her up, but it's the emphasis with how you cover it, I guess, that, right. that makes all the difference. And I do notice that this is all, you know, this happens to Democrats and that oh, they yeah. don't seem to cover <laughs> Republicans with anywhere near this same insanity. So here's what I'm wondering now, Eric, uh, as yep. we try to Look forward. Uh, what should the media have learned from this? How should they have handled uh, this uh, this uh, this quote unquote revelation? This new one right. that there was in fact nothing unlawful about any of this. We already mentioned that you know it, it does seem akin to the WMD fiasco, and at least in that case there was sort of hand-wringing and half-hearted, right. navel-gazing and sort of right. apologies that occurred. I haven't heard any of that uh, from the national press. I don't know if you have. And that seems important because not only because the electorate could, could use an apology for this media malfeasance that arguably help put trump in the white house but it's to make it less likely to happen Great. again which rachel maddow spent the better part of uh, yes. the first half of her show last night arguing it is already happening again with this faux controversy uh... around joe biden
2: yeah I, I was just gonna say i mean if you want if you're concerned that we're gonna have a repeat because the press not only refuses to learn any lessons from two thousand sixteen but to even admits there are any lessons to be learned Look at the Joe Biden in the Ukraine, and the Maddow segment last night was so excellent. Uh, it's happening again, uh, not as bad as, as the other, because Trump has inadvertently impeached himself by publicly
0: right.
2: uh, 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 confessing to colluding with a foreign power. But we've, we, we saw it in the beginning of this story. Uh, a lot of headlines, Trump and Biden both tainted by Ukraine. No, they're not. <laughs> Let's not do that. Uh, and yeah. and 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 again and again, you know, I th- I think the Trump uh, uh, colossal failures on the Ukraine story are so overtaking the, the momentum that mm-hmm. we're not seeing that awful Biden coverage. And and again, this isn't just Biden; they're going to do it to whatever other candidate yep. is is in the front. Um, uh, so I I can't tell if they learned any lessons on the Biden story because again, the the, the Trump malfeasance is so spectacular you can't look away. But there was an initial impulse, no question, yeah. to, to, to portray this as both Biden and Trump are in trouble with the Ukraine. One is the target of a smear campaign, uh, that is the Democrat, the other is the proponent the the, the mm-hmm. chief executive of the smear campaign. There's no way they're on the same scale and belong on the same scale. When I see stuff like that, I get nervous that, oh, my gosh, here we go again. Oh, yeah,
1: here we go again. I'm, I have no doubt, Eric, that had uh, th- this uh, Ukraine-Biden uh, nonsense, had that not sort of emerged from within this uh, this impeachment inquiry at this point, yes, first a whistleblower, now impeachment, had, had that gone as planned, I think this would have worked fantastically. I think the New York Times and Washington Post would have been dispatching reporters to Ukraine to get to the bottom of this story. And it would have been the next uh, but-her emails uh, uh, over the next. And, of course, he he misfired in that he chose Biden, who looks to be sinking pretty quickly. Uh, He should have been, I guess, spending his time digging up dirt on, who knows, Elizabeth Warren. But I'm sure they will.
2: Yeah, and just a quick point. This worked. Uh, I'm going to say it, it worked in 2016 because the target was a woman. A lot of this was driven by the press was by a very naked double standard. Uh, to me, I saw a lot of open misogyny, and they would not treat a Joe Biden the way they had treated uh, Hillary Clinton as a human punching bag. Uh, so I, I don't want to skip over too much without inserting that. Everything that happened in terms of Hillary Clinton with the press, Mm -hmm. I think it has to be viewed through the lens of of a a sexist double standard in the Beltway Press.
1: And because you dropped it in at the end uh, here, I can't argue back with you too much on that, other than to say, because you may be right, but look at what uh, they did to John Kerry. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and look how they were planning to uh, tee up Joe Biden the same way. I don't know. It could have something to do with her being a woman. I think it has to do uh, something with the fact that they are a desperate party with no actual plans, no actual way to appeal to the American people other than to scare the holy crap out of them. So what can uh, what can listeners do at this point, Eric, uh, to 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 guard against this in 2020, if anything?
2: Well, I don't know. You know, just try to be vigilant and and try to see through the clutter as, as news consumers, and, and try to seek out a couple different sources. And if you see something that looks funny, it probably is. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, just folks got to be on their uh, on their on guard. Yeah, you,
1: so know you know what? And and get off Twitter and get off Facebook <laughs> and and read Eric Buller. Yeah. Read Eric Bullard over at DailyCoast.com. Follow him on the Twitters if you stay on Twitter. Follow him there. He is Eric Bullard. And, of course, tune in to the broadcast where we try to expose this crap every day. Eric, always great talking to you, my friend. I suspect there'll be a thing or two to uh, discuss in the future, so we'll be talking soon.
2: That'd be great. Have a good one.
1: Thanks, amigo. Okay, I'm running late, so quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report right here on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. <laughs> You know, one of these days I'm going to learn how to, how to use a radio clock and get this thing right. So no, no worries. No time for chit-chat. Our latest Green News report. I've said many times that I have the coolest job
2: in the world.
0: Trump's totally cool Energy Secretary Rick Perry announces resignation amid impeachment scandal.
2: The area's needs are now expected to outpace what is actually available for the next 100 years.
0: Arizona County faces severe water deficit. ExxonMobil goes on trial for climate fraud in New York State. Plus, we want the people in power to unite behind the science. (laughs) climate strike in canada's tar sands country packs a punch on eve of national election
1: all of those punches and more straight ahead from bradblog.com i'm brad friedman and
0: i'm desi doyan
1: stand by for six minutes of independent green news politics analysis and snarky comment look my daughter's 15 and she's very serious on climate change she's following it i think it's awesome i think young people being not just active but engaged i think that's great but i think when they start walking out of class over it they should be in school doing what they're doing to learn right right but if they weren't walking out of school you wouldn't be talking about it on fox news would you ed henry right this is your green news report Okay, Desi Doyen, that guy on KJAZ in Arizona sounded pretty cool given what he was talking about.
2: The area's needs are now expected to outpace what is actually available for the next 100 years.
1: For the next 100 years, he's talking about water. In Arizona
0: Yes he is And he is a little too relaxed about that Arizona's top water official Has warned that new data show Pinal County Which includes parts of Phoenix Is facing a long-term water deficit New updated groundwater modeling Found that there is not enough water To meet all projected demands From the region's fast-growing cities Farms, industries And planned subdivisions Over coming decades
1: For the next hundred years
0: And worse a different report from Arizona State University released on Monday concludes that some suburbs of Tucson and Phoenix will struggle to find enough water to continue growing without damaging underground aquifers. In Washington, former Texas Governor-turned-Energy Secretary Rick Perry announced he will leave his position at the end of the year with a four-minute video celebrating the department that he once said he would abolish when he ran for president. <laughs> Perry tried but failed during his tenure to twist federal energy policy and regulations to protect the dying U.S. coal industry from competition from cheaper, cleaner natural gas and renewable energy sources. While Perry's resignation was anticipated, it comes as he is increasingly entangled in President Trump's Ukraine quid pro quo scandal. Trump has nominated Deputy Energy Secretary Dan brulette a former Bush administration staffer turned lobbyist for The Post, yet another lobbyist in Trump's cabinet that it's already bloated with lobbyists.
1: Oh it's bloated with something.
0: Swedish teen climate activist Greta Thunberg is in Canada, still leading Friday school strikes for climate with thousands of schoolchildren demanding their government act on climate change with the speed and scope that science demands. On Friday, on the eve of parliamentary elections in Canada, Thunberg led a massive rally in Edmonton, Alberta, home of Canada's dirty and destructive tar sands industry. We are not doing this because we want to. We aren't doing it because it's fun. We are doing this because our future is at stake. We are doing this because in this crisis we will not be bystanders. And and we are doing it because we want the people in power to unite behind the science. That rally may have helped turn out youth voters. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's Liberal Party in Canada is projected to retain power, having overcome a tough challenge from Canada's Conservative Party, which wants to increase tar sands production.
1: Yeah, and it looks like it was a very, very close race, so a few votes here and there that uh, Greta may have got out could have made the difference.
0: Finally, it's Big Oil's Big Tobacco moment. ExxonMobil goes on trial this week in New York State where the oil giant is accused of misleading its investors by downplaying the potential costs of carbon emissions and climate change, a violation of state securities law. The lawsuit was triggered by a blockbuster investigation by non-profit outlet Inside Climate News, which found that Exxon executives knew at least since the 1970s that burning their product would cause dangerous climate change. Exxon chose to mimic Big Tobacco's public disinformation campaign spending over $30 million Dollars to fund climate science-denying think tanks and researchers so it could continue profiting from its destructive business model.
1: And this is the point when Republicans really, really hope those judges they've packed the courts with come through for them. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. And while you're there, as GNR creeps up upon our 1,000th episode, please feel free to stop by bradblog.com donate to help us keep going for another 1,000. I'm Brad Friedman. And
0: I'm Desi Doyen. And
1: this has been your Green News Report. Thank you very much, Desi. You we got to get out. Our, produ- our great producer, Desi Doyen. Uh, my thanks to my guest today, Eric Bullert, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And you'll find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Bradblog. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.